0: hey good morning everybody great to see you guys here today and uh, i also man i encourage you to just be praying for this guatemala team leading up to the trip and through the the week that they'll be gone if you haven't officially signed up to pray for an a, a individual on this team you can go to plumcreek.org guatemala and do that And there's just a lot of fun things happening in the summertime that, uh, you know, we can't do in other parts of the year. I spent part of this week at Wilderness Camp down at Camp Northward with a bunch of middle schoolers. Uh, Mike and Amy Hall led that week, and boy, that was just an amazing time. Uh, Friday night, we had the family movie night. And coming up next week, uh, there's the second annual Gabriella Smith golf outing. Uh, Sunday afternoon at Hickory Sticks. Uh, Then later in the summer, we have the Man Up event. We're going to get a bunch of guys together and do outdoor stuff out back. And if you need more information on any of these things, you can email the office, amy at plumcreek.org, and we'd love to get you connected. All of these events have the same purpose of leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus and making a difference for God's kingdom. Well, I hope you're ready to dig into God's Word this morning. We're in the fourth week of our series on the book of Colossians, and if you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, uh, go ahead and pull up Colossians chapter 3. That's where we'll be this morning. And to set the stage for what we're about to read, I want to think, uh, think through a kind of a challenging question. And the question is this, what should we expect from a real Christian? How does a real Christian behave? What kind of life should we expect them to live? Now, obviously, there's a key word there. It's it's the word real because, you know, some people are just faking it, right? And we're not talking about those people. We're talking about someone who would say, yes, my faith in Christ is a significant part of who I am. So with that group in mind, let's go back to the question. What should we expect from a real Christian? Christian. Christian. Uh, here, here's a couple of specific examples. Should that person, should we expect that person to go to church? If so, how often? Once a week? Once a month? Or, or how about this? Should we expect that person to reach a certain moral standard? Or, or to put it another way, how bad would a person have to be before you say, no, nah, they're, they're not a real Christian? For some of us, we, we might find this question difficult to answer, and I get that because some people claim to be real Christians, but when you see how they live, they don't look much different from anybody else. And then some people, you know, they claim to be real Christians, and then once you get to know them, you find out mm, they're, they're hiding some dark stuff. That, that happens all too often. But then with certain people, they look like they're the real deal, and once you get to know them, they still look like the real deal. You find out that they are genuine and authentic, and I hope you have somebody like that in your life, because those people do exist. The tricky part is to figure out who's real and who's fake. And before I say anything else, I want to acknowledge the fact that God is the one who knows who's real. He, He knows who is sincere, and he knows who's just playing a game. And we don't have the ability to sort out people the way he does. At the same time, though, I believe the Bible answers this question very well. There are certain things we should expect to see from a true Christian. And where in the Bible do you think we might find these expectations? Well, if you're on your toes, you would probably say Colossians chapter 3, since I said that's where we'll be th- this morning. And you're absolutely right. Now, Colossians 3 is not the only place we can find these expectations, but it's, it's definitely a good overview. And reading through this passage is helpful for all of us. It's helpful for those of us who claim to be Christians, uh, because it's an opportunity to check our hearts and check our lives. But it's also helpful for those who do not claim to follow Jesus because non-Christians can be cynical about the church and unfortunately they've had some good reasons for that cynicism. However, as you form an opinion about Christianity, it's important to evaluate based on the real thing and not some fake version. And that's our goal for this morning. So let's dive in. I'm going to read the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3, and you can follow along in your Bible or up on the screen. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, before we get too far here, I want to make sure we all have a little context. Uh, The book of Colossians is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and it's addressed to a young church in a city called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Paul writes this letter from jail. And he's very concerned about this group of young Christians. On on the one hand, the church is doing really well. But on the other hand, they've run into some trouble. A group of false teachers showed up in this church. And they are distorting the true gospel. They're preaching a false version of Jesus that's far inferior to the real version of Jesus. So Paul wants to set them straight. He wants them to understand the greatness and the supremacy of Christ. So in chapter 1, Paul told the Colossians that Jesus is not just some good teacher, some good man. Jesus is God. All things were created through him and for him. In chapter 2, Paul told the Colossians they don't need to follow a bunch of man-made rules to get to God. Uh, all they need is to be in Christ. Christ which is also what we need. So now here at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul says, okay guys, you have put your faith in Jesus, and that's great. Now, here's what your life should look like moving forward. And as we just read, Paul draws, draws a clear dividing line between the old life before Christ and the new life after Christ. He says, you died. Your old life is dead and gone. Your new life, you're hidden with Christ. In fact, Christ is your life. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? But it's true. Uh, Life in Christ should look very different than life before Christ. Now, before we move on, I, I need to revisit a couple points from last week. Last Sunday, I pointed out several misconceptions that some people have after they become a Christian. Here's one example. Some people think, now that I'm a Christian, the sin in my life is no big deal. And where would a person get that idea? Well, they've learned about God's grace. They've learned that through Jesus, God is able and willing to forgive our sins. And because of that, this person feels free to live however they want to live. Because after all, God always forgives right? Now, this is a great example of the fact that we need to read all of God's Word. Because if you stick to just a couple favorite verses or a couple favorite passages, you are likely to develop some very wrong ideas. We need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. So if we do that here in this scenario, what do we find? Well, let me give you a a slogan that you may have heard before. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That phrase has made it onto a lot of bumper stickers over the years. But is it true according to the Bible? Absolutely. Yes, it's true. However, we can't stop here. If we stop right there, we, we might get the assumption that Christians can just do whatever they want because they'll be forgiven. That's not the case, as we'll see in Colossians 3. Christians are not free to abuse God's grace. So here's a more complete understanding. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That's true. However, authentic Christians will not tolerate sin in their lives. And true Christians will become more like Jesus over time. But then how does that transformation take place well there's another misconception we talked about last week some christians give their lives to jesus and they start to think well now it's all about the rules because i was saved by grace through faith in jesus and i'm so thankful for that but now from this point on i got to follow the rules. i got to work really hard, because if my performance doesn't reach a certain level, God's going to kick me to the curb. This was one of the problems in the Colossian church. Those false teachers were saying, hey, if you want to stay on good terms with God, we got a bunch of rules that you need to follow. But Paul said, no, it's not all about the rules. Don't get legalistic like those old Pharisees. Jesus is enough. So let's see how this plays out. It's not all about the rules. So what does that mean? Well, Christians are not bound by man-made rules and regulations. However, true Christians will strive to follow God's moral standard. And yes, that includes all the Ten Commandments, everything that Jesus taught, But then you might say, well, hold on. Doesn't that mean Christianity is all about the rules? And it's very easy to get confused here. Yes, a Christian, a real Christian, will work very hard to meet God's moral standard and follow his rules. But here's the difference we don't follow God's rules in order to earn God's approval or maintain God's approval. We're not saved through good works, and we don't keep our salvation through good works. And now that we've dealt with those misconceptions, we can move on to the biblical approach. Christ in me is my only hope. And that's true on two different levels. Number one, when you first give your life to Jesus, you receive the gift of forgiveness and salvation. That is only possible because of what Jesus did. He went to the cross, and he died as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins, the penalty that you deserve to pay. So in that way, Christ in you is your only hope. But then this is also true on a second level. After you become a Christian, you should be growing to become more like Jesus. Over time. That's never going to happen through human effort. It doesn't happen just by trying hard. So again, Christ in you is your only hope. That's where the power to change comes from. And this is what Paul is saying in Colossians 3. You died to your old self, and your new life is hidden in Christ. So set your heart and your mind on things above. Focus on Jesus, and allow the Holy Spirit to go to work. And from there, your new life will look radically different than your old life. So this is what we should expect to see in a real Christian. We should expect to see a radically different life. You should look very different than the person you used to be. And some of us might feel a little uncomfortable with this because after you gave your life to Christ, you really didn't feel that different. You're kind of like, well, I still have the same personality, I still have the same strengths and weaknesses. I still try hard to be a good person, and I still fail a lot of the time. So, if I'm supposed to be radically different, what does that look like? And how does it happen? Well, this is exactly what Paul describes in Colossians 3. And throughout this chapter, he uses a visual image that I find very helpful. He talks about changing your clothes. Uh, One place where we see that is Colossians 3, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. See what I mean? It's like changing clothes. You take off the old outfit, you put on the new outfit. And we're going to see that Paul describes both sets of clothes very clearly in specific terms. But before we get there, I want to push this metaphor a little bit. I thought of a vivid illustration that might help us understand this wardrobe change. And when I say vivid, I I actually mean gross and disgusting. So uh, if you're not cool with gross and disgusting, you have my permission to stop listening for a couple minutes. Uh, But here's the illustration. Uh, Two weeks ago, my family and I drove up past Columbus for a quick visit with my wife's side of the family. And while we were there, we went on a hike. To see a very cool waterfall. And uh, before we went on that hike, we, we parked at this little parking lot, and on the edge of that parking lot, there was a porta potty, which was very convenient. Uh, most of us made a little pit stop at the porta potty before the hike. And when it was my turn, I went inside and I found something you might call unpleasant. It was a little pair of jeans. They probably belonged to a toddler. And, these jeans were in bad shape. <laughs> uh, it looked like something very bad happened to those jeans. More accurately, I should say, something bad happened in those jeans. They were absolutely filthy and they stunk to high heaven. And I could just imagine the scenario. There was some parent who said, uh uh-uh, uh, it's not even worth it to try to clean these things. We're going to leave these nasty jeans behind right here in the porta potty. In other words, they took off the old clothes, and I assume they put that child in new clothes. So it was like a real-life version of Colossians chapter 3. And here's why I share that illustration. I share it because our old life in Christ should be disgusting to us. We should find it repulsive. We don't want to live in the way we used to live. We want to put on a nice, new, clean pair of jeans. So remember that image as we keep reading. Like I said earlier, Paul describes the old clothes and the new clothes in very clear and specific terms. And he makes two lists. There's a list of vices and a list of virtues. The vices are part of the old outfit, and the virtues are part of the new outfit. And he starts with the vices, so let's read. Starting with verse 5, Paul says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. As you can see, this first list is mostly about sexual sins. Uh, That phrase Sexual immorality is translated from a Greek word, pornea, uh, which is kind of an umbrella term. It refers to any, sex, any sexual activity outside of a covenant marriage between one man and one woman. And the words impurity and lust also have a sexual connotation. Now, evil desires and greed could be associated with sex, but not necessarily. Uh, the point is, if you are in Christ... All these things are part of the old life, the old life that should now be repulsive to us. But let's be careful here. We don't want to fall into that old mindset that thinks of sex as something dirty. That's not the case at all. God created sex, and when we approach it his way, it's a very good thing. Sex only becomes a problem when we elevate it above God's will and above his plan. Uh, Because at that point, it becomes an idol or a false god. And any of these old clothes can become idols. Every good desire becomes an evil desire if we put it above God. So Paul continues this list in the next few verses. Verse 8 says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." So, if you didn't struggle with anything in that first group of vices, you probably struggle with something on this list. Many of these things are extremely common, right? I mean, losing your temper, which is anger and rage. Slander, which is talking bad about somebody else. Lying, cursing, using profanity. Man, we can fall into these habits without even trying. But Paul says, no, that's your old nature. Those things are part of your old life. When you are in Christ, you put those things to death. Take off those old, filthy clothes, it's kind of like those jeans from the porta potty. I want you to use your imagination for a second. Picture that kid sitting in the minivan wearing his new jeans. They haven't left the parking lot yet, and this kid starts thinking, I miss my old jeans. Those were my favorite jeans. And then imagine this kid sneaking out of the minivan and running over to that porta potty grabbing those jeans and sliding them back on. Uh, what are you going to say if you were the parent of that child? <laughs> You're going to say, child, are you crazy? Why did you put those filthy jeans back on? We left them behind on purpose. Just wear the new jeans. Now, I realize I'm being kind of ridiculous about these dirty jeans, but the truth is Paul is talking about something serious here remember what he said? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, once again, we're saved by grace. We're not saved by trying to live a perfect life, but the reality is if you are truly in Christ, you will not tolerate sin in your life. Now, I'm not the judge here. Far from it. But I do have to say this, if you are not actively putting these things to death, it's likely that you don't have a genuine faith in Jesus. Think about it. Think about a person who says, Jesus, I believe that your way is the best way, so I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do what you tell me to do. But then imagine that same person in the next breath saying, Jesus, I, I do trust you, mostly, but I've got this one area over here where I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to do things my way. That doesn't work, does it? If, if that's your approach, you're not dying to the old life. And if you have an area where you have no intention of following Jesus, you haven't really put your trust in him. If your faith is real, you will surrender to his will. Now, I want to be clear about this. The surrender I'm talking about is not a one-time thing because we'll continue to struggle with sin. The temptation you struggled with before you gave your life to Christ is probably going to be a, a temptation that you struggle with after you give your life to Christ. And we won't win every battle against temptation. And that's where we need God's grace. And we don't have to question our salvation every time we fail. However, when your faith in Jesus is real, you will surrender to him again and again and again. And as time goes by, we should expect to see a general growth trend where you become more like Jesus. It's not going to be a straight line up and to the right. There will be ups and downs, but that general growth trend will be there. It will be visible. And it's not just about removing the bad stuff. When you grow to become more like Jesus, you also put on the good stuff. You take on his character and his virtue. And as Paul moves from vice to virtue here in Colossians 3, he says something profound. Look at verse 11. He says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free But Christ is all and is in all Now what does this have to do with the context of this passage? Well it's actually very relevant In the community of the church In this group of people who are all trying to follow Jesus The playing field is level You're not better than me And I'm not better than you We all need God's grace. We all need this new identity in Christ. We need to find our strength in Him. And that means we're in this together. And we shouldn't focus on our differences. We shouldn't focus on what divides us because Christ brings us together. And as we go through this, we help each other become more like Him. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. And when you bring your strength to my area of weakness and I do the same for you, we help each other to grow. And exactly how should we be growing? Well, we put on those new clothes. Get rid of the filthy jeans and put on the new jeans. So let's look at Paul's list of virtues. He says in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Now, I won't go into much detail here, because in the very near future, we're going to go through a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit is very similar to this list here in Colossians 3. But as Paul goes on, he tells us how we should function within the community of the church. God's plan for the church is, like I said, for us to help each other grow, help each other live this new life as a new creation. Look at verse 15. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Imagine what it would look like if every Christian church lived according to this vision. How amazing would that be? Imagine every church becoming a community where peace rules over division, where we thank God for his blessings instead of focusing on what we don't have or what we don't like, where we teach and admonish one another, speaking the truth in love and listening to others speak the truth in love. And we worship God together in unity. Realizing that it's not about us. Life in Christ is all about Him. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And the picture doesn't stop at the church. It extends into every area of our lives. We'll read just one more verse, Colossians 3, 17. It says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Man, that's powerful. Paul says, seven days of the week, 12 months of the year, do everything you do in the name of Jesus, wherever you are, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're hanging out with friends, when you're home with family, when you're by yourself, wherever you are, do everything. Everything you do in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that means you don't live a compartmentalized life. You're the same person wherever you go. Which reminds me of something I heard recently. I actually don't remember where I heard this or who said it, but it's really good. And whoever said it, they they said you had three different aspects of yourself you've got your public self, your private self, and your secret self and that's a good way to evaluate your life because if we're not careful these three circles can become very different from each other in in your public life for example it it can be kind of easy to to keep up a, a good image we can look pretty good most of the time however in your private life it's more difficult to keep up that image. Your private life is, uh, that's, that's who you are with your immediate family or your closest friends. And these people know you better than everyone in the public eye. And they may see a side of you that you don't want the public to see. Then you've got your private, your, your secret self, the innermost circle. Your secret self is who you truly are in your heart. It's who you are when nobody else is looking. Actually, there is no time when nobody is looking because God always sees you. But at the end of the day, your secret self is the best indication of who you truly are. Because at this point, you're not performing for any audience. You're just being you. So do a quick heart check. Do you see, do you see a sharp contrast between your public self and your private self? or a contrast between your private self and your secret self? If so, you need to let God go to work. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and help you make some difficult choices and some big changes. The Truth is, it's usually not much fun to take off the old outfit and put on the new outfit. Sometimes you have to break an addiction Sometimes you have to humble yourself and ask for help. Sometimes you have to expose a weakness or failure in your life, which can be humiliating. And most of the time, you have to let go of something you don't want to let go of. But make no mistake, this is what real Christians do. Surrender to God again and again And then he removes the word self from these three circles. And he replaces that word with the name of Christ. It's that new identity, Christ in me. Whether in public or private or in secret, you're the same person wherever you are. Because you've got this new identity. And in that new life, there is freedom. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And because of that, You will grow to become more like Jesus. Not through your own willpower, but with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the help of brothers and sisters around you who are on this same journey. That growth will be visible. Other people will see it. And that's what we should expect to see in a real Christian. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the help that you give because we need help on two levels. We, we can't save ourselves. We, we can't do anything that would bring forgiveness to ourselves. We need Jesus. But to change and become who you want us to be, we also need help there too. We need the power of Christ working in us, the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that this change will be happening constantly in us and even though we won't get it right 100% of the time, I pray that we will be honest when we fail and that we will turn to you and surrender once again. I pray for this help that we will become more like Jesus for your glory and to help people see him. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.